the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then, there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue Indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger, and lead it away to give it water. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things He was doing. The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Amen. I've learned quite a lot about what Sabbath is as I prepared for these sermon remarks this morning, one of the things that I learned was that one of the root meanings of the word Sabbath is to stop. It's a verb meaning to stop or to cease. I didn't know that. I also learned that nowhere in Scripture is the Sabbath day of rest moved from Saturday to Sunday. Worship was moved from Saturday to Sunday in the New Testament times because Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday. So the first Christians who were Jewish thought, well, we should be worshiping on Sunday rather than on Saturday. Now, to me, that means that if Christians were doing right by Scripture, we might well be resting all day on Saturday with our Jewish siblings, and then getting up on Sunday morning for worship. Now, Paul in the New Testament nowhere says you may not keep the Saturday Sabbath, but he does give the new Christians some freedom as to where that happens. So somewhere in there, I think, is when the Sabbath, as opposed to worship, part of Sabbath moved to Sunday. In any case, that struck me that if we were doing right by Scripture, as Christians, we would have a day of rest and a day of worship. A real two-day weekend, if you will, based in the Bible. 
But for most of Christendom, as we know, that's not how it's worked out, has it? And I think we might have lost something. I think it's maybe too bad that that's how it's worked out. For Jesus and other first century Jews, the Sabbath was the centerpiece of the Jewish faith. It was a day of rest and worship. According to creation, we know from Genesis, God made the world in seven, six days, and then on the seventh day, God rested. And since God rested, humans should rest on the seventh day. And if that weren't clear enough, when the Israelites got the commandments from God on Mount Sinai, the third commandment that was given to them was, you shall observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the central sign of the covenants between God and the Jewish people. Now, through the centuries up until Jesus' time, the Sabbath had gradually built up around it, the commandment to keep the Sabbath had built up around it a thicket of other laws and rules and so forth that were meant to protect this commandment from even being inadvertently broken. The rabbis called this building a fence around the law. And, as I say, they made it to, made these laws up to prevent people from breaking the commandment by mistake. So, for example, on the Sabbath, it was forbidden even to touch a hammer because you might accidentally do some work. Now, the problem was this fence around the law had become really a fortress that prevented the Israelites, the Jewish people, from really experiencing the heart of the law of the Sabbath, which was to experience God's compassion and mercy and rest and delight. As often happens, as we know as Christians, rituals and practices and customs can become hardened, and instead of liberating, they can confine. Now, it's important just to note, as, uh, as an important aside, that the commandment to keep the Sabbath would have been very important in a society that depended on manual labor, as, as ancient Israel did, and, and New Testament times as well. So, while we might see a Sabbath commandment as, as oppressive, it was also to ensure protection for people who worked with their hands. It was meant to be uh, not patronizing, but protecting and to prevent exploitation. It's important to, to, note, to note that. Well, by Jesus' time, this fence around the law had come to include even healing as work. And wouldn't you know it, um, Jesus broke the commandment on the Sabbath. Um, it was said that chronic illness could be healed on the other six days. If you had a chronic illness, like this uh, woman who was um, severely deformed, she'd been like that for 18 years. And we see the synagogue president saying, well, couldn't you have come on another day to be healed? The law said it was okay to heal an acute uh, episode, say appendicitis or some other acute thing that would happen on a Sabbath that was life-threatening on the Sabbath. You could, you could heal that. Jesus doesn't care about that. He's going to heal on the Sabbath, no matter whether it's chronic or acute. And he did it with all kinds of, of ailments. He healed withered hands. He healed blind eyes. He healed dropsy. Who knows all the healings that weren't recorded. We just have the ones that were recorded on the Sabbath. And this morning, he heals 
a daughter of Abraham from what must have been a severe severe deformity the text tells us that that she couldn't even look up she could only see the ground which says something about how how severe her disability was well Jesus responds to his critics who say he can't heal on the Sabbath by saying things like well you'd water your livestock on the Sabbath wouldn't you or if your donkey fell into a ditch you would get your donkey out of the ditch wouldn't you or if your son your newborn son happens to turn eight days old on the Sabbath you'd still circumcise him wouldn't you because Jewish law said on the eighth day the male child was to be circumcised well of course their answers to all those things would be yes Jesus kind of traps them in their own logic it's important also to note of the bravery of this particular woman in coming forward to be healed she had a number of strikes against her she was unclean because of her deformity she wasn't allowed in worship she wasn't allowed to be there but she came forward anyway she was a woman making herself prominent in worship that also was not allowed she was a brave brave soul so in addition to Jesus breaking rules like touching a woman who was not one of his kin by touching someone who was unclean by healing on the Sabbath Jesus also was was brave in his context so we need to note the bravery and courage of both of these people again he shows that religious ritual can become confining and oppressive and I love best when he says when he reminds us that the son of man he says this elsewhere in the gospels the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath and elsewhere he says the Sabbath was made for humans not humans for the Sabbath in other words the Sabbath needs to fit the human need not the other way around in essence I think what he's saying to put it in the vernacular what Jesus is saying to his first century listeners and what the first gospel hearers heard Jesus is saying loosen up loosen up you need to remember that God's primary purpose for Sabbath is to experience deep compassion deep delight deep rest holiness refreshment connection and all your tightness is squeezing all of that out in very practical ways you're not healing on the Sabbath for example I have to wonder though if Jesus were here today in the 21st century if he would be saying loosen up I think actually he might be saying will you tighten up please will you get it together you modern people have thrown the Sabbath baby out with the bathwater. Just a couple of rules really might help you here. Now, I'm not suggesting a return to the bad old days of the Sunday blue laws. Though I think we have to again remember that part of their purpose was to protect as well as to control, for sure. They didn't want there to be wild drinking and merrymaking on the worship day but nonetheless there was this protective 
element to the blue laws as well, to protect labor from being exploited. I'm not suggesting return to the blue laws, but I think many Americans have begun to realize in a very deep personal way the dehumanizing effects of our pace of life. We work all the time. We consume all the time. How many of you have bought something at one o'clock on a Saturday night on the internet? Oh, please. Okay. Anyway, we consume as a nation. We consume and consume and we work and we work. And the boundaries between work and play and recreation have become so, so blurry. And in response, you may have noticed that there have begun to be books about Sabbath keeping and books by people who've tried to keep Sabbath. There have been articles in the newspaper and so forth. I noticed uh, a number of uh, New York Times articles this summer on people who've tried to keep Sabbath and have have, uh, tried to commend that to other people. In March of this past year, a national, international Sabbath manifesto was launched on the World Wide Web, which lists 10 principles for observing a non-religious Sabbath. I won't list all 10, but the first one I'll say is avoid technology. I think that really is the idol of our time. The first commandment in the regular Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And in fact, uh, they planned a national day of unplugging. March 19th to March 20th. And in fact, thousands of people took part. This website was even selling little sleeping bags for your cell phone and for your, uh, for your smartphone and other electronic devices that, that might have needed a rest. You can still get them online. Now, it's easy to pick technology as a target. It's right in front of us. We hear it, we see it, we participate in it all the time. But I think if we dig a little deeper, we might find some other things that we might need to take Sabbath rest from. I think we need Sabbath rest from things that are compulsions for us. Technology would be a a compulsion for sure, but I bet if each one of us took a few moments to reflect on those things that drive us rather than the things that we control, those things which we can't seem to not do, which if we don't do them, we get nervous. We think things will fall apart. Compulsions. I know for me, one of those things, just one of those things, would mean a day without making a list. And realizing the feeling of freedom at the end of that day, that everything turned out just fine. And in fact, I had a Sabbath rest from worrying about the list. But you know those things that that make your blood pressure go up. Those things. We need a rest from those. Especially those things that we think we can't do without. Those activities or things or whatever. And we need to do those things that we know 
feed us. Now we know if we each of us took just a moment of time to really reflect on those things that give us deep, deep rest, deep peace, deep refreshment, replenishment, rejuvenation, we would know what those things are. But what would happen if you spent a day trading the compulsions for the things that deeply, deeply feed us? Family, or gardening, or writing, or knitting. You know, we know what those things are that feed us. Those things that feed us, I think, help us remember that we are so much more than simply producers. Work, work, work. We're so much more than simply consumers. Buy, 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 ingest. We're so much more than producers or consumers. We are, each one of us, one of God's children that has the right simply to be. Just be. I worked at a school once that had a bench on campus that had one of those little plaques on it. Sometimes they're in memoriam for somebody. The plaque said, don't just do something, sit here. Don't just do something, sit. I suspect that each one of us needs help doing this. One of the things about Sabbath in the Bible is that It's the responsibility and privilege of a whole community. One doesn't keep the Sabbath alone. It's lonely. And it's too hard to do it by yourself. We know our compulsions. Often we need help from somebody else to remind us that we don't want to be doing that really, do we? Right now? Or to help us remember we want to be doing this. We want to be doing this other thing that feeds us. I think we're being asked this morning, I humbly submit that we're being asked this morning by our gospel passage to consider those ways that we might need a little bit more structure in our lives around Sabbath. A few more guiding principles around what we probably shouldn't do for 24 hours. Some guidance, rules, principles on things that we really would benefit from doing that would feed us, that would protect us from being such producers and such consumers. So I think the Spirit's challenge for us is to seek together what those things might be for us. Maybe informally find a friend and confess to them, or a family member, confess to them the thing that you really need to stop doing for 24 hours. And confess to them the thing that you really like to do for 24 hours that would really, really feed you. And come back and see what happens a month later. I wonder what would happen. I suspect we would have just a little, little taste of the deep delight that God intends for us. Maybe not every day of the week but at least one. At least one. Amen.